Thank you, Jackie. Well, this summer, uh, we are going to begin looking at uh, starting a kind of a new sermon series. And uh, we're going to be looking through these uh, things in the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. It's this unique little subsection of the Psalms. It's Psalm 120 that goes all the way through 134, 15 of them. And uh, I tried to think of the best way to explain what what these are kind of in essence. And here's my best shot at it. When I was in, uh, the year was 1999 was the year that I was a freshman at the University of Oklahoma. And so every uh, time I would, I would commute up to school, um, I, would, I would load up my car with these things called CDs. We used to listen to those things back in the day. This was, you know, the mid to late 90s. This was right after cassette tapes. And this was right before you could download MP3s for free on Napster. This was, this was um, you know, post-mixtape, pre-playlist. And so what I had in my car was a 12-disc CD changer in the trunk, which I thought was awesome. And so I would open up the trunk, getting ready to make this, you know, three-hour commute from Dallas where I lived up to Norman, Oklahoma, and I would load it up with Busta Rhymes and Outkast and DOS Effects and Ghetto Boys and Tupac. High school Matt was only into hip-hop. And... Um, and so I would load it up for this big, long road trip because, you know, the reason why we, of course, listen to music like this on road trips is because music helps pass the time. It helps, uh, you know, kind of energize you and sustain you on kind of this long trek that you're making. I bring that up because these Psalms of Ascent, these 15 Psalms, these were, these were road trip songs. These were traveling songs. Every year, uh, three times a year, the people of Israel would travel to Jerusalem. They would take a, a pilgrimage. And the way that it worked is, you know, people, the people of Israel were kind of scattered all over the region, all over the ancient Near East. And three times a year, they would travel to Jerusalem for these big annual worship fests. In the spring, they had uh, Passover. In early summer, they had Pentecost, which is what we're celebrating today. In the fall, they would have the Feast of Tabernacles, and they were these big citywide worship parties. If you just picture, like, tailgating before COVID, or, you know, you picture Bonnaroo, but without the drugs. And it was, it was this just citywide party festival that was all centered on the worship of God. And Jerusalem, as a city, was, was on the highest hill in Palestine. It was 2,500 feet above sea level. So you literally had to ascend up to the city. And then once you got to the city, to go to the temple, you had, the temple was on the highest hill in the city. And you had to ascend up to the temple, to Mount Zion. And so the, the people of Israel would sing these unique little, these 15 songs as kind of pilgrimage songs. These were their songs to kind of, uh, you know, entertain them, help pass the time, but also to sustain them and focus them on why they are doing what they're doing. And so I'm borrowing this series title from a friend of mine. He calls his series Songs for the Sojourn. Songs for the sojourn. But I had a couple of alternative ideas. These were my ideas that I decided to scrap. But tracks for the trip was another one. Playlist for the pilgrimage. Jams for the journey. And then the one that I, I really want to do, but I felt I kind of, I just, just dumb. Beats for the streets. 
And um, so here's, but here's why I think these are important because, you know, a road trip or a pilgrimage is in many ways a metaphor for what the entire Christian life is. These are songs not just for these ancient people that would travel to Jerusalem. These are songs for us. As Christians, our whole life is, is a pilgrimage towards God and towards his home. In fact, if you were with us earlier this year, we spent the entire spring going through the book of First Peter, where we saw week after week after week that the Christian church is described as exiles, sojourners. This is not our true home. We don't fit in here. We are going somewhere else. We are on our way towards God and towards uh, his house. We're on a journey that direction. And just like a literal road trip, you, you have to have things that sustain you along the way. This is why on road trips you stop for gas or stop for Chick-fil-A or stop for Reese's peanut butter cups or whatever your thing is. We need these songs because these are the songs that energize us, that motivate us, that remind us who we are, where we are going, and, and, and why it is that we just need to keep taking one foot after the other because the journey with Jesus towards God is, tends to be a lot more dangerous, a lot more demanding, a lot longer, a lot more exhausting than maybe we thought it was. So uh, we're going to be looking at this kind of this ancient uh, playlist, as it were, from the, uh, from the Old Testament, the Psalms of Ascent. And so let's just kind of begin with uh, this, this first track, Psalm 120. And uh, I don't know about you, but whenever my family, whenever we decide to go on road trips, usually the first song that we play kind of right out of the gate is something to kind of hype us up, something to kind of excite us, energize us. That is not where the Psalms of Ascent begin, in fact, it actually starts in a little bit of a, a pretty dark headspace. If you look at the first verse, it begins with, in my distress. And look at the last word in the whole psalm. It's the, it's the word war. And then right there in the middle of verse 5, he, he cries out this lament. Woe, woe to me, woe is me. This is a song primarily about discontentment, dissatisfaction, sadness, this would be like getting in the car, loading up your crew, you're headed to the beach, and the first song that you play as you, as you pull out of the driveway is Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. Everyone's just weeping before they get to the end of the street. Or uh, When the Party's Over by Billie Eilish. Or, or um, anything from Elliot Smith. And um, so th this would not have been my first choice for the, for the opening track to this kind of road trip playlist, but I think it's actually pretty brilliant. There's a brilliant reason why it begins in this, this, this note of dissatisfaction. And here's the reason why. Because nobody will begin seeking after God unless you are dissatisfied with the way that things are. It's the, the journey is too dangerous, it's too demanding, it's too long, it's too exhausting. You're not going to get up and go unless there is a reason to go, unless there's something out there that you're longing for, that you're striving after, that you don't have, that the world is giving you. This is the whole point of the movie Moana. You remember Moana. The, uh, the, the, the story is about this, this young what we have who is on this island and everybody in her village, everybody on the island is celebrating what we have right here. This is all we need right here. In fact, her father says to her, the village of Montanui is all you need. The, the dancers are, are practicing. They dance to an ancient song. Who needs a new song? This old one is all we need. But for her, it's not all she needs. She's longing for more. And so she sits on the shore and, she, and she's staring at the edge of the water. 
and she's looking out in the line where the sky meets the sea. It, it calls her. It beckons her. And so she has this longing. This place is not enough. She's dissatisfied. It's not all I need. And so that's what compels her to get in the boat and to begin her journey. And so the point being, you're not going to leave behind the life that you know for God unless you begin to grow discontent with life as you know it. And so that's really the one point that I kind of want to camp on today. Not three points, not two, just one. Here it is. Seeking God begins with dissatisfaction. That's it. Seeking God begins with dissatisfaction. Eugene Peterson, who's an author, professor, pastor, translator, uh, he says this way better than I ever could. I, I included a little quote of his in the front of your bulletin, but here's how he puts it. A person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. A person, has to, a person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. And so that's why the Psalms of Ascent begin with dissatisfaction. Look at, uh, look at verse 5. The author says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Now, these are words that don't really mean anything to us, but these are the names of places. Meshech, if, if Israel was kind of your reference point, Meshech would have been in the northeast, way up almost by like southern Russia. And Kadar would have been in the south over by kind of the Arabian desert. And so he's using these words almost in the same way that we use the word Timbuktu, the boonies. He's saying, I feel about as far away from Jerusalem as it gets. My heart feels about as distant from God as you, as you I might as well be in Timbuktu. He has grown discontent with his life. This place is not working for me anymore. I'm longing for something else. And he gives you two reasons in this psalm why he has grown dissatisfied. Here's the first one. The first is that because he lives in a culture that lacks truth. He lives in a culture that lacks truth. Look at, look at verse 2. He says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? He's saying, I'm surrounded by liars. And he doesn't really give you a, a specific reason of what people are lying about. He's just looking around and saying, there's so much deception and I'm so tired of it. And that's what begins to compel him to move towards the God of truth, which doesn't feel like that's too far of a jump from the culture that you and I live in, right? I mean, we live in a world that sociologists now refer to as post-truth, where we have gotten rid of objective truth claims, we've gotten rid of all meta-narratives, and we're, we're, we're left with just kind of what is my truth. And in, in, in the midst of that, there's this, you know, vacuum. Once we've deleted objective truth, we now live in a world of fake news and conspiracy theories and deep fakes where you, where you like don't even know what's true anymore. And yet there is this undeniable human instinct inside of all of us to want to know what is actually true. Not just my, tru not just my truth, but what is like actually true about the world. In fact, there's this um, 
graffiti mural, not even a, not even a mile from where we are right now, on, on, the, on the corner of uh, Cooper and Walker, just south of Cooper Young. Maybe you've seen it. It's a big graffiti mural. And on it, it used to say this big phrase in, in spray paint, truth matters. It's not there anymore. It's been, it's been changed, kind of graffitied over. But for a long time, as I you know, would drive by it or go running by it, it would say, truth matters. And I just thought, that is so fascinating. Right here in the middle of what may be the most progressive part of our whole city, there is this declaration, truth matters. And that's right. It does matter. And we know this instinctively. Even if we have deleted objective truth and uh, meta-narratives, when we feel like we're being lied to, we still want to fact-check people. We want to fact-check politicians. We, we have this instinct towards truth. And so the question is, if that is true, that we long for truth, are you as well tired of being lied to in the world that we live in? Are you tired of politicians lying to you and saying, if you just vote for me, if you just sync up with my program, you will be, you will be correct you will be right, and you will get power. Or are you tired of advertisers lying to you that say, if you just buy this thing, you'll finally be content? Or tired of the culture lying to you at large that says, you know, if you just dig deep down and find out who you are down in there, then your most authentic self, you will finally be happy. Or are you tired of the lies of social media that says if you can just get this adventurous life, then you get, to, you get to show it to everybody, make everybody jealous? Or are you tired of the lies of religion, of pastors that stand up here and say things like, well, if you just believe God, if you just obey God, nothing bad will happen to you again. You will not begin seeking after God until you start to get tired and grow discontent with the lies around you. Seeking God begins with dissatisfaction, where you start to crave a God that who himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. That's the first reason that this psalmist gives you for why he has grown discontent. He lives in a place that lacks truth, but here's the second reason. He also lives in a place that lacks peace. He lives in a place that lacks peace. Look at uh, verse 6. He says, too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I'm for peace. But when, but when they speak, but when I speak, they are for war. The word peace there is, is the Hebrew word shalom, which is this beautiful loaded word in the Bible that just means holistic flourishing. It's this, it's this word that captures this is the way that things are supposed to be, where your relationship with God is reconciled, your relationship with other people is healed, your relationship with yourself is restored. It's the way that God designed the world to actually function. Shalom, peace. And here's the author saying, I want that. I long for peace, but it doesn't seem like anybody else does, around me does. Everybody around me wants to fight and, you know, strangle each other on social media. And, and, and uh, I, they, wanna, they, wanna, they want war. They want violence. And you can imagine him and whoever he is with singing this song, praying this psalm as they're on their way to Jerusalem. Which that word, Jerusalem, literally means the city of peace. Jerusalem. Looking forward to this place, if I can just get with God and be in his presence, then I will experience peace, this, this shalom that I'm, that I'm longing for that I'm not getting here. 
And maybe that's the same way with you. Have you grown tired of the violence around you, the fighting around you, the, the, the political brick throwing and grenade throwing, the, the, uh, the gang violence in our own city, the violent crimes, the, 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 you know, the horrors of police brutality and, and, and war and violence and on and on and on. Seeking God begins with dissatisfaction. When you begin to realize, okay, these longings that I have for truth and for peace, the world is not providing them for me. So here's my one, my one takeaway, my one kind of homework assignment for you from this little psalm. It's simply this. Don't waste your dissatisfaction. Don't waste it. Let it be the thing that propels you on a pilgrimage to God himself. It's just, it's fascinating. In God's mysterious way of doing things, he tends to, um, people tend to only seek after God when, when things are bad. You know, I've grown, I've been in, in um, ordained ministry for 12 years now. I've never met anybody that has come to Jesus and wants to begin seeking after Jesus because everything is going great in their life. It's always when they're depressed, when the bottom has fallen out, when they're, the, when they're at the end of their rope, when, when they're overwhelmed with life and it feels like the waves are just crashing over their head. They, they're, they're dissatisfied. They feel empty. They feel like whatever, this, whatever I've been going after, it's not working for me anymore. And so if, if, if pain and discomfort and dissatisfaction have found their way into your life, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry. That is super hard. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And at the same time, I want to say maybe, maybe that's the thing that God is using to invite you on a pilgrimage to begin seeking after him. Maybe the, the dissatisfaction you're feeling with this world is, is like a, a, a light on, on the dashboard of your car that says, this is, this is not working Maybe, maybe what I'm looking for to, you know, to give me life and peace and truth, it, it can't provide it. And so maybe I need to go start looking somewhere else. Maybe God's using the dissatisfaction that you're feeling in this world to um, invite you on a pilgrimage to him. There, there's a song that captures this whole idea perfectly. It's the song called Pray by Sam Smith. If you've never heard it, I mean, good grief, it is beautiful, it is haunting, and so I, I want to read you um, just a couple of the lyrics, just a, just a chunk of the lyrics, and I'm going to edit it for the sake of our younger ears in, in the room, but here's how the song goes. He says, I'm young and I'm foolish. I've made bad decisions. I block out the news, turn my back on religion, don't have no degree, I'm somewhat naive, I've made it this far on my own. But lately, that stuff ain't been getting me higher. I lift up my head and the world is on fire. There's dread in my heart and fear in my bones, and I just don't know what to say. So maybe I'll pray. I'll pray. Maybe I'll pray. And the second verse goes like this. Actually, it's the end of the chorus goes, I have never believed in you, no, but maybe I'll pray. Second verse. You won't find me in church reading the Bible I am still here and I'm still your disciple. I'm down on my knees. I'm begging you, please. I'm broken, alone, and afraid. I'm not a saint. I'm more of a sinner. 
I don't want to lose, but I fear for the winners. When I tried to explain, the words ran away, and that's why I am stood here today, and I'm going to pray. Lord, pray. Maybe I'll pray for a glimmer of hope. I've never believed in you, no, but I'm going to pray. Everyone prays in the end. That's how the song ends. Unbelievable. Uh, Here's this person that's saying, I've never believed in you. You won't find me in church, you won't find me reading the Bible, and yet I feel broken, alone, and afraid, and so maybe, maybe I'll pray. You see that? Seeking God begins with dissatisfaction. Here's what's fascinating. This psalm is in many ways just this cry for deliverance. I mean, you see that in verse 2. He's praying for shalom, and this author of this psalm could never have anticipated in a million years how God would have answered that prayer, how God would have met him. Because here's how God decided to do it. God sends his own son to live in Meshach, in Timbuktu. You know, it's fascinating. In John chapter 1, when Jesus shows up on the scene, there's a couple of people that run up to this dude named Nathaniel, and they're like, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is the one. He's the Messiah, the one that, we're all, that we've all been waiting for. And, and Nathaniel hears that word Nazareth, and he goes, Nazareth? What good can come out of Nazareth? That's Timbuktu. That's some, you know, backwater, no-name, irrelevant place. And yet, that's exactly where God shows up, right in the middle of the boonies. And just like this psalmist, Jesus himself sets out on a pilgrimage towards Jerusalem. In in Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus sets his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. He beelines it straight there, and he makes his way all the way to the city of peace. And as soon as he shows up, you know what he's surrounded by? He's surrounded by liars. People that are accusing him of, of, of false things, and he's, and, he's, uh, and he's ultimately arrested, and he's executed on the grounds of false charges, that he was leading some insurrection. And he didn't defend himself. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And then right there in Jerusalem, in the city of peace, the prince of peace himself gives himself over to the hands of violent men bloodthirsty, war-hungry people that were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, people that were spitting on him, cheering for him as the police beat him up and hung him up on a tree. Here's how um, Isaiah 53 describes the Messiah. It says, and they made his grave with the wicked, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Isn't that fascinating? No violence, no deceit. The two things that the author of this psalm is longing for, the prince of peace, the God of truth, and yet, as Isaiah says, he made his grave with the wicked. He was treated as if he were the wicked. Why? So that he could give you shalom. Here's what Isaiah 53, 6 says. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He gets chastised. He gets destroyed so that you get shalom, so that you get peace. The Bible is saying what your soul so desperately wants, truth, peace, shalom, Jesus has purchased for you. He's paid for it all so that you can have it for free. 
And one day, someday, God will come and make this whole world a world of truth and shalom because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And the way that you get it is that you begin to seek after God. That's what faith is. Faith is just turning your attention to him. But the reality is seeking God begins with dissatisfaction. So, if you are dissatisfied, if you are discontent, if you are looking for truth and peace in a world in which it doesn't exist, my invitation, the Bible's invitation for you this morning is maybe to set your eyes on Jerusalem. Set your eyes on on the city of peace, on the prince of peace, because the Bible says in God alone is the only place where you will find what you're looking for. Consider that an invitation for you this morning to begin a pilgrimage to God himself, maybe for the first time, maybe for a thousandth, the thousandth time. That's your invitation this morning. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that you would give us, uh, give us uh, the freedom to be honest. Honest with the fact that this world isn't doing it for us and it's not providing for us the things that we long for. And I pray that that would indeed for all of us, myself included, renew us with a sense of purpose to begin sojourning after you, seeking you. Because you are a God that has promised when we seek you, we will find you. Purely by grace and purely because of what Jesus has purchased for us. And it's in his name that we pray.